welcome to Interdisciplinary. I'm Cal Cates. And I'm Kathy Ryan. And you have found your way to Heal Well's podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. Thanks for joining us for another rousing conversation with a smart, compassionate person who is changing the world and doing exactly that, making the world a safer and more loving place. Uh, We have heard from our first winner of our season three contest. Um, Our review writer will be having a private chat with me and Kathy next week. So that's very exciting. Uh, And the contest is running for the rest of season three. So if you get out there and write us a review and we read it on the air, you get a mug or a t-shirt or a 30 minute hangout with me and Kathy about a topic of your choosing. Or if you're one of those oncology massage nerds who wants to nerd out for a half hour with the authors of Oncology Massage and Integrative Perspective, uh, Rebecca Sturgeon and Janet Penny will chat with you and the people who work at your clinic if you're in such a setting. So keep that in mind. Make sure to go and like and share and post and do all the things. Tell your friends, your pets, your family that you're listening to the show. Tell them they should too. And Kathy, today I have a Canadian pun for you. You do. You do. I do. Are you ready? Uh, oh, I, am, I didn't know there was that specific Canadian puns. I'm ready. Oh, oh, there are. You know, I, I love to make Canadian bacon, but I can never figure out how to stop it from curling. Do, do you know how to stop it from curling? <laughs> you take away its little brooms. <laughs> Yay. For, <laughs> For, this is one of my things. People call it a sport. How can they call something that with a broom where you're sweeping a sport? So I'm a bad Canadian in that regard. Maybe. But I mean, I, I think that <laughs> people who, who are homemakers, if that's not a 1969 term, would tell well, you that sweeping is quite the sport. But but it is, it is, a, it is a question that people have asked. So for those of you uh, who don't know what curling is, Google it and... Um, Watch a video because you really need to see it live. Uh, so, yeah, uh, kind of like watching is... paint dry. Very exciting. <laughs> no, so I'm sorry to really fast paint. I mean, the way they brush in front of the puck, whatever you call it, I don't, it's crazy. The rock. Oh, it's called a rock. Oh, it's see? a stone. It might be stone. It's a stone. A stone. It is a stone. It's That's a stone. right. It has yeah. a fancy handle. The whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> anything going on in British Columbia? We should know about Kathy. Nothing more exciting than curling. True that. I did kind of. I did kind of drop the mic on that one, didn't I? You did. You did that friend. Um, yeah. I don't think I can talk about COVID anymore uh, this week. So let's just not, and we'll just dive right in and uh, introduce our guest, Martine, who has joined us and is a co-founder of a really incredible organization that I wish didn't have to exist, but it does, thankfully. And uh, it's called Ujima Medics, and we're going to let Martine tell us. Uh, about why it exists and what it is and anything else that seems important. Sure. So thank you. Thank you, Kath. Thank you, Cal. Uh, Like you just shared, I'm Martine and I helped co-found Ujima Medics. Well, now it's been about six years. And um, six years ago, I was, I, I think I'd been a nurse for a couple years, maybe one or two years. Um, registered nurse and um, me and one of my uh, best friends had been talking about this idea for a while and um, after I got back to Chicago 
from living in Maryland uh, to go to nursing school and to do some other things. We got together. I remember we had um, we had uh, coffee and we were talking about, you know, we really need to um, spread these first aid and community care skills that we have um, developed. We offer emergency response and community care skills to folks in the community. Um, the most requested thing that we do is our basic gunshot wound workshop. That was the first thing we started doing. Um, and in the basic gunshot wound workshop, we assume that you do not have a first aid kit or access to one. And what was happening in Chicago, um, I think that year, actually, um, shootings were down, actually. Um, but the perception from living in the community was not that. Um, but shooters were actually down that year. But yet and still, you know, we, we felt like we needed to to do something, especially because um, so we were both. Actually, I was a, re- a West Side resident at that time. I was living on the West Side. So it's the way Chicago was set up. People don't really, you know, people are. I think are listening from all over the place. Yeah, I was going to say, give, so, us, give us the lowdown. Let on me give Chicago's, you some yeah. context <laughs> mm-hmm. and back up a little bit here. So Chicago has about 3 million people and it's really set up into the north side, the west side and the south side. Now, there's an east side. People don't talk about the east side, but there's an east side too, which is like southeast. Um, and so we, and we have like a downtown and so downtown and going west, there's like a medical district that has um, Cook County Hospital is a pretty famous hospital. One on hospital, it's on the it's on it's on the west side. Rush, famous hospital on the west side, and then Northwestern Hospital is on the north side. And so, but as far as hospitals that had at the time a level one trauma center, so these are the places where. You have all the all the specialists, all the equipment um, that's equipped to handle really serious trauma cases, which definitely include shootings. You know, shootings that you know, people who have been shot multiple times, people whose um, injury um, dealt with some kind of um, internal organ, right? So not just a graze wound or something like that, but you know, they need surgery. Um, they may need a sense of rehabilitation. Um, so not just dealing with shootings, but also things like serious car accidents, you know, uh, a fall, um, you know, things like that. You need a level one trauma center for that. At the time, uh, there was no level one trauma center on the south side, uh, which is actually the biggest side of the city. There was no level and, one trauma center at all. And a place where a trauma center would be really useful. Really useful, really useful. And so um, University of Chicago Hospital had a trauma center and then closed it. um, I don't remember the exact year, but they had a trauma center through the 80s. And then there was a decision to close it. Um, Probably, I think it was like a financial decision, right? And so um, what happened in, um, that must have been, it was definitely 2010. So in 2010, Amika and I uh, were working together in a like a community collective that had come together to organize solidarity support for folks in Haiti because 2010 was an enormous earthquake in Port-au-Prince. And at the time, um, we had been doing 
there's a lot of a lot of work in the community. One of those things was was this effort that um, organized solidarity, but also <clears throat> brought people together in Chicago to talk about um, the ways that large or large organizations, the ways that uh, corporations, the ways that entities like this can take advantage of communities in in times of disaster for their own benefit. And we saw a lot of that happening in Haiti. And it, in, and it paralleled a lot of our experience uh, with, with things in, in the U.S. like Hurricane Katrina, right? And how, um, you know, the, the, the people in New Orleans, especially the Black communities in New Orleans, were devastated by that situation. And it seems like everybody else was able to benefit from from it, from this disaster, except, you know, except, you know, the folks who had been historically living there. Yeah. A lot of folks lost their homes. A lot of folks were not able to return. Um, transformation of the culture. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people just ended up in places like L.A. and Houston and Chicago as basically refugees, um, internally, internally displaced people. We don't talk about that in the United States, but it definitely exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so this was happening with Haiti, and, and some of us in Chicago um, had been to Haiti just the previous year. Um, to, there to just connect, there to talk about organizing work, there to talk about connecting folks in the diaspora. Um, there was just a lot of interest in Haiti, also um, just because of the position that that country holds for Black people. Um, global, I'll say globally, but definitely in the Western Hemisphere. Um, as, you know, the place where, um, you know, we had, you know, the first free, actual free republic was in Haiti. And so when we think about founding fathers and founding mothers, they, you know, for us, they rest in Haiti. So definitely um, for us, especially who had been fresh off of just visiting the island, um, when that earthquake happened in 2010, we said, okay, we have to do something. And so we were working together on this. And, um and then that summer, um, one of the one there was a young man who had been organizing with um, an organization called Fly, uh, which stands for Fearless Leading by the Youth, and uh, which was a um, a partner organization to a group called Stop Southside Together Organized for Power. And um, he had he lived very close to the University of Chicago Hospital, and he was shot in the back. And um, instead of being able to go to University of Chicago Hospital, <clears throat> he had to be taken all the way across town. Um, and before he could, you know, even reach uh, the emergency room, he died. Okay. And, you know, he had a very serious injury. There's no way, there's no way to know whether or not he would have survived that, you know, but you know, he might have had a chance if yeah. he'd been able to just go literally across the street. Okay. And this in the Chicago um, Medical Center definitely had the capability to be a level one trauma center. Um, and so it was because of it, that was really the spark to a campaign led by multiple organizations to pressure the University of Chicago Hospital to open a level one trauma center. And of course, you know, he wasn't the only person to be shot that year. 
Um, he wasn't the only person to be shot in that neighborhood that year. He wasn't the only per- he wasn't the only person that everybody knew would have been shot. But I think it's something about uh, a person that um, had been a community leader that had been um, working. He was very young, he's seventeen. That had been working to pull other folks into community organizing. Something happens to him and said, "Okay, well, he was an organizer. What would he have done?" <laughs> Well, you know, think think about this not just at the individual level, but think about this at the systemic level. What do we do at a systemic level to um, prevent this from happening again? You know, and so I think that was a big reason why folks came together after that. Um, and you know, may he may he rest in peace. Um, I, I got word that his mother recently passed away. Um, may she rest in peace. May they both rest in peace and power. And, um, and so, um, but it was around that time, you know, that in addition to talking about, okay, we need this, we definitely need a level one trauma center on the South side. Um, we also were talking about, all right, also, also, what if someone on the scene had known how to apply first aid to that injury in addition to you know, um, all the other things that need to be in place, right? So there actually is now a level one trauma center at University of Chicago Hospital. Woo-hoo. It opened, um, was it 2021? I think it was 2019. Okay. I think it opened in 2019. Like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a lot of work that went into that place being opened, a lot of protests, arrests, um, pressure, um, but yeah, it's here and it's busy. It's really busy. A couple, uh, a few of our members um, in our collective at Umedics um, worked or worked there at the trauma center. And, um, you know, they are, I just really appreciate what they do and how they do it. And, you know, um, the trauma center is there to do what they do and you medics here to do what we do, um, which is to um, uh, spread emergency response and community care skills uh, to protect black lives. Uh, We're based in Chicago, but you don't have to live in the city of Chicago to be involved. Um, We try to get people engaged from around the area and um, when we say community care, we we really want to talk about, again, this idea that, yes, you know, we want folks to have those first aid skills to apply um, in a situation where you may happen to need it. We want folks to be prepared. Uh, we want folks to be, um, pre- we want folks to be prepared for a lot of reasons. Um, but where the community care aspect comes in is a few things. One thing is um, we want folks to, really like take a sense of responsibility for their their communities. And so the word Ujima, um, the Kisawili term Ujima, uh, it means collective work and responsibility. So we, we're all um, trying to come together and really look out for one another, be responsible for one another. And so um, we want there to be folks in every community who are prepared to um, create health justice right there on the scene. The world we live in that the most requested workshop you offer is gunshot wound response. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to make sure that our, our listeners like get that, that there's, 
it is so common and such a problem that there aren't even enough like emergency responders to show up, assuming they were actually showing up in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so um, what people learn in that workshop are general principles <clears throat> about how to how to, how to how to approach and how to apply. So general principles, they also learn actual like hands-on first aid. Um, they learn about emotional responses that may happen on the scene and how to interact with that. Um, and how to, um, how to deal with self-care if you become a communicate responder in that situation. We talk about, um, and, and earlier when I was talking about this idea of community care, it's really, again, we really tr- are trying to connect the individual choices and the way that individuals act to, um, the existence of systemic and historical problems that we're facing, right? So that's why we talk about calling 911. We don't teach you how to call 911 because um, there's a right way to do it. We teach you how to call 911 because calling 911 is harder than it needs to be. And it's harder. It's definitely harder than it needs to be for folks who live um, in areas that are most affected by gun violence in, 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 in Chicago and other places also uh, where there's a lot of black and brown people. So we talk about calling 911. We talk about what to do when the police show up because they will show up. They often show up before the ambulance does. So we talk about um, how to um, increase your safety and um, do what you can to stay with that person you started caring for in that situation because um, police are often disruptive in those situations. Um, again, we we talk we, we have to talk about how how as Black folks and um, a lot of folks that. Um, you know, are also by gun violence are from Latinx communities. Like, how do you um, how do you interact with these systems that are all coming down on you in this situation? Even though what you're trying to do is just be a a, a good community member, right? Um, so you learn so you learn all those things, and um, the basic gunshot wound workshop assumes that you do not have a first aid kit, you do not have access to one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because um, in a lot of other trainings, they'll they'll talk to you about oh you can get this um, this 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 fancy equipment to, right. to use. Right. Um, we we do often teach tourniquets even in basic gunshot wound class because it's so effective and it's something easy to carry. So we do teach it, um, but we don't assume that when it goes down and you need it, you're going to have it. We don't assume mm-hmm. so we don't spend most of the time on that. But we yeah. can teach that. We get a lot more in the tourniquets and um, professional supplies and things like that in the advanced. We have an advanced class too, right? But that basic class assumes you don't have anything. Yeah. So we teach what do what can you use that's on you that might be on a, a witness um, that might be easily attainable. We we teach that. Yeah. So like real, I mean, like wilderness medicine, but on the street and really to be able to, Mm -hmm. you can respond even if you don't have a kit of some kind. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's no telling how long that, that, um, I mean, there's studies of things, right. But in that moment, you really don't know how long you have, um, until the, you know, the paramedics are on the scene. 
Yeah. Um, I think things have possibly been getting better because there's more attention on this, but um, it's it's kind of rough here, you know. Yeah. And there's a situation, for example, this must have been 2017, I think. <clears throat> one of our members and one of the folks who was the best at training gunshot wound in the collective, um, she responded to um, someone being shot. And um, so she goes to apply first aid. And um, she calls 911. She does everything exactly how she was trained to do it. Then after she made that call, that 911 call to um, get the ambulance coming, she also called, she then, she then called her mom, who was also a member in the collective. And her mom wasn't like home. Her mom wasn't in the yard. Her mom was at the beach. Her mom got to the house before the ambulance. Wow. You never know how long. Right. But the the person that she helped did live and he's doing fine now. Man. Well, and I, I mean, I I have, it's so hard to sort of pull apart. Like, what do we, what do we talk about next? Like I'm thinking about, I mean, I, I feel like, um, and I don't obviously live in Chicago, but I remember when Lori Lightfoot got elected and everybody was excited about that. And, um, but there's, I mean, last year was one of the worst years of gun violence for Chicago in like the last 20 years. And I was just looking earlier today and like it over the weekend, 70, 70 people were shot in Chicago, 16 of whom died. And like, I, I just want our listeners to understand the, the scope of this problem and that, um, Chicago is particularly struggling with gun violence, but Mm -hmm. there are places in the country where this is what's happening and it is happening in black and brown communities. And I, I love on your website that you guys said, like, you know, people say, well, just get out of that neighborhood. And you're like, but we don't, we just want to stay and make it better. Yeah. And that we can't just abandon the places where we grew up or the places where we live. But Mm -hmm. what, I mean, what kind of support do you all get in the city? Like, do you have um, any kind of government support, hospital support? What do you do in terms of like building relationships with other? <laughs> I, I love the smile that's creeping across your face. I can't wait to hear what it what it says. Yeah, I mean, so that's a great question. Um, we get a lot of support in the community, um, and it sometimes it's a little shocking when I realize how how much love there is, how much support there is, and um, <clears throat> for example. Like, like we love, like most of our workshops are collaborations. So there'll be another organization that's doing something really good in the community that we get together and they say, you know, um, our volunteers need a workshop. Our staff need a workshop. We want to host a workshop and have everybody in the community come, right? So, you know, the, the, the cool thing about doing what we do is that we're very specific and focused about what it is that we offer. And we can afford to do that because there's so many other um, efforts happening that are um, aligned with what we're doing and how we go about it. They're, and they, they take a different piece of it. You know, for example, there's a, a organization that does a community patrol, community safety patrol, um, non-police community safety patrol. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they're trusted. Folks will, you know, talk to them. You know, um, they do these de-escalation. Um, interruption um, and just try and also monitor police activity 
as well. And they, they felt like, okay, well, we're out in the community. We're patrolling. We need to have these first aid skills. So we, you, um, it's called watch guard. Uh, and so, um, Umedics has uh, trained their members a couple times on these response skills and we're going to be going, we're going to be doing more with them. Um, there's another group that does um, community patrols. We, we just did a training with them and for the public. Um, there's an organization that um, does youth youth development in one of the neighborhoods that this and this this kind of kills me. There's a neighborhood here called Englewood and they love to blame all kinds of stuff on Englewood. Yeah. And, you know, so we went. So we worked with a group called Teamwork Englewood. They, they do youth work in Inglewood. We went in, you know, um, uh, train the youth on how to do these, to, to respond to these, using these skills. Um, there's all kinds of organizations doing all kinds of things. And we get to collaborate. Um, and, it's, and it's wonderful. As far as um, hospital support or city support, I mean, um, it's interesting. Um, so a few years ago now, the city of Milwaukee, they have a, uh, a whole department um, called the Office of Violence Prevention embedded in their Department of Public Health. And they've had it for a while. And they have this whole like community violence um, plan. Um, they had a the that Office of Violence Prevention. I don't know what the actual title is. I was going to say commissioner. They had a commissioner named Reggie Moore um, in Milwaukee um, who is who's just really dynamic and really dedicated to um, figuring out some innovative um, solutions um, in, in ways to really, um, you know, um, interrupt and um, interrupt violence and, and heal the communities. And so what he did was brought you medics from Chicago to Milwaukee. And we did, and it, we were hosted, so we were hosted by the city of Milwaukee. We did a couple of sessions that were open to the public um, on the basic gunshot wound. It was great, you know. Um, now, you know, like as far as the city of Chicago, Hmm. You know, I don't know if they, I don't, I don't, I don't have any idea what folks in um, the city government think about something like that for this place. But what I do know is, you know, like um, from where we stand, um, you know, we, we, we feel like we, you know, we can kind of, we've been, we've been doing this for some time. Yeah. Um, and when we started Umedics, we had, zero dollars yeah <laughs> zero yeah you know we didn't get a grant and then start you medics we didn't do a GoFundMe and then start you medics uh-huh. we started it because we said we can we know we exist. know how to do this yeah um you know black, black black women know how to do stuff with um few material resources but we have we know we have a lot of um knowledge great and collective um spiritual resources and 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 community resources so that's how we've been doing this yeah and so <clears throat> um also a lot of folks in our collective are involved in many other things they're involved in other um, mutual aid efforts especially as a response to covid um they're involved in um other kinds of social justice campaigns um several of them are involved in things like black lives matter or um defund cpd cpd means um chicago police department um you know they're involved in environmental justice work they're involved in youth development work so they're involved in a lot of things and so um you know maybe you know the city's kind of like well, we don't want to tie ourselves with a group that also 
um, but cares you know, about people like they're little the radical, you know. Right. So <laughs> you know, okay. Um, yeah, well, I, I know wonder... that. We, we real quick. I do. Oh yeah, um, please. I do recall getting um, an email from somebody in the city asking us about trainings, and I came back with our like, oh okay. I came back with our um, our price, <laughs> and we didn't hear anything back. So you know. Yeah. I mean, come on, you, you got to pay what, us now. What's important, <laughs> City <you> Chicago? Guys. <laughs> right. Wow. Well, I wonder. I have sort of a compound question because. You know, so I'm curious about what, you know, when you have Mayor Lightfoot and the state's attorney saying that like crime has plateaued and that they haven't seen an increase. And but then you look at the statistics of shooting victims and shooting deaths and you so so I'm curious about how that. What do you do with that? Um, And then when we talk about what do you do with the gaslighting you mean yeah basically <laughs> and and then what do what can you talk do you know about like what what is precipitating these shootings are they part of what would be deemed crime separately and it's sort of like a byproduct or are they random i mean there's not i couldn't find a lot about exactly like what is what is inspiring the gun violence and Mm -hmm. does it go under, I mean, obviously when a person shoots another person, that is a crime, but is it shooting as isolated incidents or is it part of, is it related to drugs? Is it related to poverty? I mean, obviously all these pieces come together, but what can you share with us about sort of the problems that lead to this epidemic and how they all kind of fit together? Sure. I mean, um, again, I'm just, one person. Sure. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> I don't know the whole picture. So I'm just going to say that up front. And I think, you know, it's definitely, you know, our position that um, the causes of violence are um, particularly the causes of violence in um, Black communities um, have um, have roots that go back cent- like centuries. Yes. Okay. Um, we are still we're still coping with being an underclass in the United States. Yeah. Okay. And, and I know folks are like, oh, there was just a black president. Yeah. No. That's no. Uh, it's a red herring, my friend. Doesn't. Yeah. That doesn't really mean anything, um, really, for um, for folks that live in live in these communities, you know. And so we're trying to. We're trying to do the best we can to to cope with the legacies of. I'm not. I'm, I'm not just even talking about the period of enslavement. I'm also talking about the legacy of Jim Crow. We're oh, talking yeah. about the reasons why black so many black folks were in Chicago in the first place. Um, you know, um, it's interesting. I was. Um, I was. Uh, so this is kind of an aside. Okay, this is this is going to be a tangent. We love asides. Okay, so there's this there's this post on Reddit that blew up. Okay, so the post was like, "What's the worst state in the union?" And then basically it was Mississippi, 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 Mississippi. Okay, and oh, Mississippi is last in education. Mississippi is last in healthcare. Mississippi is you know, has all these COVID cases and um, Mississippi doesn't have anything. And they're like, oh, Mississippi's terrible. And 
you know, it's a, and they're really racist and da 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 da. Now, um, I'm going to go down the limb and say most. I'm going to say most Black folks in Chicago that did not come directly from um, the continent of Africa or the Caribbean have roots in Mississippi. Okay. They might have roots other places in Arkansas and Kentucky and places like that, but most of us have roots in Mississippi. And a lot of us still have family in Mississippi. And I personally love visiting Mississippi. I really like it. Okay. And I think um, I think part, part of the problem with that for me, for that, that post for me is that um, you have a situation where racist white folks are in charge of the government. They run the state, but it's also the state in the union that has the highest um, population of black folks. It's like maybe 35, possibly 40% of Mississippi is black folks. So when you say it's the worst state in the union, you know, what are you really saying? But also part of the reason, or I actually think the reason why it's last in all these indicators is because um, a lot of these racist white folks, they would prefer to give up education and health care in order to deprive it from black people. Like if I have to give this health care and education to black people, nobody can get it. I really think that's their attitude. Right. And um, and so that's and, and so Mississippi is, I think, the most obvious, clear um, example of that. OK. Um, and so in Chicago, we've had all these problems with public education. Um, you know, so, for example, we're going to be doing a workshop in a couple weeks um, at a school, the site, a school site where the school was closed. OK, you had all these communities where there were multiple school closings, schools merging. Um, it was um, this this disruption of public education and it was supposed to improve public education. Um, and at the time, folks were saying, this is about to blow up. This is going to blow up in some years. And, the, and they were called crazy. No, this is going to be fine. This is going to improve things. And um, I think part of the consequences that we're seeing of the violence um, has to deal with how public education has been disrupted. Um, I think that... Um, the lack of investment in our communities is um, a huge problem. Uh, I see Kanisha's here. Hey, Kanisha. Yeah, so um, real quick, um, a word about Kanisha. So I was one of the whole founders. Kanisha came to Ubedis, I think, in 2016 with her daughter, Journey, and they've been uh, around since then. And actually, it was the, the, the mom I was talking about earlier um, who got to the site of a shooting from the beach before the ambulance, that was Kanisha. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and one thing I want to say, since it looks like we're, you know, going to be out of time soon, is um, although Eumedics was created um, kind of in response to um, a situation of shooting, and that was the first um, intervention that we developed was our um, gunshot wound workshop, um, we're not solely a, like a violence prevention, violence addressing organization. 
We're mm-hmm. about health justice in general. And so there's other things we do apart from the gunshot wound training. So I just wanted to uh, be, you know, very clear about that um, because in addition to, in addition to the issue of um, people, people dying or being disabled or being traumatized from violence, we also have people who are, are have, who have um, issues with access um, and discrimination and um, <clears throat> um, as it relates to health in general and the healthcare system. And so, um, you know, we definitely are about health, health justice in general and um, not just, you know, about um, the issue of, of, of like, you know, intercommunal violence. Um, yes. and, we, and we really think that um, by taking an approach that looks at our communities holistically and not just isolating this issue of gun violence from everything else, we can actually do something to turn this around. And so that's that's why I'm talking about Mississippi <laughs> as we're, like we're, we're supposed to be talking about Chicago because um, uh, the, the the past and the present are the same thing. Amen. Um, yeah. You know, right. we're, what we're trying to impact is the future, but there we, you know, um, I am, I'm 40 years old this year and, you, you know, people act like things are so, we're so far away. My mom was in grammar school, grammar school, when Emmett Till was murdered. Yeah. My mom, not my grandma, not my great grandma, no. my mom. Uh-huh. My mom. Right. Went to a segregated school. Yeah. You know, my my dad's first interaction with a police officer was being slapped in the face by one when he was about eight or nine years old. Wow. And only getting some kind of justice or apology because of the perception that my grandma uh, was white, even though she was just very light skinned. So mm. these things are not new, you know. Um, and so they're not really old and they're, either. Right. They're not right. gone. Yeah. They're not gone. They're not, they're not old. They're not new. Um, and so we're, a lot of us are trying to do the best we can with the resources we have. Again, just like you were pointing out, Cal, to um, really stake our claim in our communities and, you know, really, um, really um, recruit people to love ourselves and love where we live enough to do the work it's going to require to transform these places into sites of healing. Um, there's a lot of healing that's happening. There's also a lot of trauma that's happening. And so we're just trying to recruit folks to do more of that healing work so we can get to where we want to go. Um, and it is, um, <clears throat> as far as, you know, causes of things, we always talk about education um, we we just addressed this issue of the lack of a trauma center on the south side that was rectified by community organizing is why we have a trauma center. Right. That's exactly why. Yeah. Um, there's no other reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And, um, you know, there's also an exodus, a mass exodus of black folks from Chicago wanting to escape violence. But what they're not escaping is poverty in many situations. So we're not just working in the city of Chicago. We're working in the Chicago area, we're working wherever folks are that um, are interested in this community care, collective care, um, preparedness concept. Uh, we think it can, again, we want to 
um, we want to transform and we also want to um, reclaim. You know, there's a lot of traditions as it relates to um, healing in our communities, as it relates to um, community cohesion, as it relates to um, just this concept of Ujima that 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 exists and existed that have been disrupted by a lot of these um, these processes of specific violence in our communities that we are you know trying to turn around also. Thank you for joining us for part one of our conversation with Ujima Medics. This conversation will be continued next week with Martine and one of Umedics trainers and volunteers. Please like and subscribe us on all the social medias. Don't forget about our review writing contest you have until next week to get us a review for your fabulous prize. And check out our social justice and healthcare conference where Umedics is one of the featured speakers. Thanks. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.